Hello, and welcome to State of Crime with Kaylin and Elena. Because there aren't enough murder podcasts out there, we decided that we would start our own, but with a twist. We are going to do our episodes by the state. Yes. So we are going to be putting out our episodes twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. And each episode we are going to tell each other about a case that happened in a state. Right. And we will highlight one state per episode, two murders. Yes. This week, we are going to be focusing on our lovely and much-beloved home state of Idaho. Yes. Yes. And so, Kaylin, what murder are you going to be doing? I am going to be doing a local case, which is very near and dear to my heart because I knew our victim very well. Um, So I am doing the murder of Paula Fabrush, and this is a very recent case. She was uh, murdered about a year ago. So that's what I'm going to be doing, and I'm pretty excited about. Yes. And so we are going to start dipping back into Idaho's history for the murder of former Governor Frank Streunenberg. And I'm going to insist on using the proper German pronunciation of his last name because it makes me happy. So um, if any of our listeners have ever had the opportunity to visit the Idaho State Capitol, they will have noticed that there is a statue of Frank Streunenberg outside with a little plaque honoring him. How terrible is it that I've been in Idaho? I've lived in Idaho for 15 or 16 years, and I've never been to the state capitol. (laughs) Well, we are going to take a field trip (laughs) one of these days, so you can visit this. But um, so Frank Streunenberg actually was not an Idaho native. He comes from the state for which Idaho is always confused, and that is the state of Iowa, where he was born on the 8th of August in 1861. So same year as the Civil War started. And he was murdered in Caldwell, Idaho, on the 30th of December in 1905. So this case has always fascinated me, mostly because I mistakenly believed that he was the only sitting governor to ever be murdered. And then I realized he was not, in fact, a sitting governor. He was a former governor. (laughs) And there were lots of other, well, maybe not lots of other governors, but other governors who've been murdered as well. So my case isn't quite as unique as I had hoped, but the manner of his death is quite unique. So, all right, so we're gonna start off. I'm just gonna kind of hit this in chronological order. Okay. And, a little timeline. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. So, as I said, Frank was born in Iowa. He was the fourth of ten children. He was born to German immigrants, hence the lovely Streunenberg name. And so he is raised in Iowa. He goes to college, which was pretty rare then, and becomes a reporter and a newspaper man. And... He had an older brother who came to Idaho. I don't really know the circumstances of that. So, but he, in 1886, moved to Caldwell in what was then the Idaho Territory, because Idaho doesn't become a state until? Not a clue. (laughs) I'm a terrible resident of this state, because I know nothing about its history. 1890. I really paid attention in high school when they taught me these things. By the way, I was her teacher, so I'm offended by this. (laughs) So so anyway, he um, 
works for the newspaper there, the Caldwell Tribune, where he works for six years. And at the age of 29, so he's still quite a young man, he is elected to the very first state legislature in Idaho. And he was what was known as a fusion candidate, which means that he was backed by both the Democratic and the Populist parties, which I thought was a really cool thing and something that I think we need more of. I like this idea of fusion candidates and having more than two parties. But anyway, so he is does well as a legislator, obviously. And in 1896, he is nominated again as a fusion candidate by both the Democratic and the Populist parties for governor. And at the age of 35, he wins. And he is Idaho's fourth governor and our first non-Republican governor. Well, that's cool. Because yeah. as red as our state is, we have had a number of Democratic governors. So... In, um, he only serves for two years because back then Idaho's governorship was only a two-year term and he's re-elected in 1898. So when he's elected, because he is backed by both the Democratic and the Populist parties, he had a lot of labor union support. And some of the major labor unions in Idaho at the time were the mining unions because mining was one of Idaho's major... <clears throat> excuse me, one of our major economic drivers at the time, especially in northern Idaho. And so as soon as he was like running before he was even, you know, actually elected, they were pretty sure he was going to win. So a lot of the mining companies up north automatically started paying their employees more just because they figured he was going to support the unionization of mines and everything, and they wanted to make sure they were, I guess, on the right side of that. But of course, there's always a holdout. And in this case, our kind of villainous mining corporation is known as the Bunker Hill Mining Corporation. And their claim to fame was that they only hired non-union labor, and they made sure they kept wages low. So um, in 1899, April of that year, the Western Federation of Miners, which was one of the main unions at the time, destroyed one of Bunker Hill Mining Corporation's mills in Silver Valley as retaliation for their bad labor practices. And in a move that kind of surprised a lot of his union supporters, Steunenberg immediately declared martial law. And he would have called in the National Guard, but the National Guard was busy in the Philippines because of the Spanish-American War. So he turned to President McKinley in Washington, D.C., and requested that he send federal troops. And the combination of declaring martial law and the federal troops turned a lot of his mining union supporters against him. And in fact, he kept martial law in place until the end of his second term as governor. Dang. Yeah, and then he did not run for a third, okay? So at this time, everything just kind of, you know, calms down, sort of returns to normal until almost five years later in, as we said, what was it, 1905, he is going to his home in Caldwell, Idaho. He goes to the gate and opens the gate 
and there is a bomb attached and it blows up, wounds him very badly. He is taken immediately to his own bed where he dies a short time later. So he is assassinated with a bomb. Which is crazy to me because most assassinations are gunshots. Right. But why take him to his bed? (laughs) Why not, I don't know, take him to the hospital? I don't really understand. I'm assuming just because of his wounds or whatever, it was easier and they called a doctor. Maybe the ambulance was out of service that day. The horse threw a shoe. I'm really not sure. So, and it's also strange that it's all this time has passed since his term as governor and everything like that. So, so this is where the story got a little bit weird for me. So, The person who's arrested for his murder is a man named Harry Orchard, or at least that's the name he goes by. His real name was Albert Edward Horsley, but he'd been using the name Harry Orchard for quite some time, and I believe that was the name everybody knew him by, and that's the name that's used in the trial transcripts and all that. So Harry Orchard is a member of the WFM, this Western Federation of Miners, which was a very large union. And he is the one who rigged the bomb to the side gate in Caldwell. And he is arrested a very short time later. Uh, This is still in the time when we don't really have an FBI or anything like that. So it is a Pinkerton agent named James McParland who investigates the crime. And at first, Harry Orchard claims that he's innocent. And the sources that I read said that he confessed after an internment in solitary confinement and quote unquote intense interrogation, which if you know anything about law enforcement tactics at the time made me think, you know, maybe there was a little strong arming here. They beat the shit out of him until he told him. (laughs) (laughs) That, That was my assumption. And he also claims that in addition to being guilty of this murder, he claims that the Western Federation of Miners' leadership were behind it and that they had basically paid him to commit this and that he is also responsible for violence and deaths in 17 other cases. So he's kind of some sort of a serial killing Bomber. union member guy. Yeah. And I don't know if bombs were involved in all the yeah. other cases. but And so the case is pretty, um, what do I want to say, well-known nationwide. Uh, senator William Bora, who was a very well-known senator throughout the country at the time, prosecutes the case. And he is also the person for whom the highest mountain in Idaho is named, by the way. And then um, his defense attorney is even more famous. It's Clarence Darrow, who is most famous for being part of the Monkey Scopes trial about teaching evolution in schools. And yeah, Clarence Darrow was very well known throughout the country. So it's really interesting that I didn't know he had taken on this case. So, so anyway, so Harry Orchard... Yeah, goes on trial. He is found guilty. He is um, sentenced to death, although later his sentence was commuted to life. And he ends up serving at the old Idaho Penitentiary. Have you ever been there? Nope. Okay, which is another big tourist attraction in Idaho because 
we like visiting creepy old prisons. Yeah, they they did a ghost adventures yes. thing about it. My parents have been there. It's a big yeah. And and the best part is if you ever do get to visit the Idaho State Penitentiary, it's famous for it has a beautiful rose garden nearby, and then there's a beautiful rose garden in the middle of the penitentiary yard. And when you're there, you find out this is where they used to hang people before they started hanging them inside the prison. See, and I think that one of the reasons I've never been there is that I'm a very paranoid person. And I'm not trying to take a ghost home with me. I'm not trying to piss the wrong person off and them haunt me for the rest of my life. Yes. And it is 100% haunted. I'm just yeah. saying. Oh, so yeah. I guaranteed. don't even believe I'm not even sure I believe in ghosts. Oh, I do. 100%. Yeah, Idaho State Penitentiary is haunted. Yes. So, so anyway, he serves his time there. He ends up serving a 46-year sentence until he dies on the 13th of April in 1954. And he is the person who has served the longest sentence at the old Idaho State Penitentiary. And two years before he dies, he does write an autobiography. And this is where I thought maybe there'd be something of interest here. Like, you know, he would say, no, they beat me. You know, they made me confess. No. He... Yeah, because when you first said that there was some interrogation, I was like, well, then it might have, it could have been a false confession. Right. And then you brought up that there was 17 other murders that he was involved <laughs> in. So then it's less likely yeah. to be a false a false confession. Right. But. And so uh, nearly 45 years after he has been sent to prison, he writes this autobiography and he says in it, nope, it was all me. I did this. I'm guilty. And he never, ever recanted his confession. Hmm. And in fact, by then, he was a pretty model citizen. And so he was what was called a trustee of the prison. So they didn't keep him within the main body of the prison. He lived in a little house outside the walls of the actual penitentiary where he kept chickens and things. And then it was still on the property that was owned by the prison. And then a short time after that, or a couple years after he was in this little house, he had a stroke. He was moved back inside the prison for medical care and then died shortly thereafter. But the people that he claimed had also been involved in the murder, the owners and the, not the owners, the leaders of the Western Federation of Miners, <clears throat> they were also tried twice for this murder and both times they were found not guilty. So it also seems like possibly that was all a lie. Yeah. And as I did a little bit more research, despite the fact that he was born in Canada, and we all know, you know, Canadians are famous for their niceness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Harry Orchard was not a very nice man. He w confessed again in his autobiography, and there was already quite a bit of court evidence about this. He was a bigamist. He would leave one wife and then just go marry the other without bothering to get a divorce. He at one time was unhappy in a situation. He owned a cheese shop which he burnt to the ground and then just left so he could start a new life. He spent a lot of time in Colorado where he was also associated with the Western Federation of Miners, and there he was involved in a lot of different sorts of violent and shady sort of activities. So he was not a stellar citizen, <laughs> and the fact that he murdered Frank Steunenberg is not a big surprise. Yeah. So that is the story of Idaho's assassinated former not sitting governor so what drives me nuts about this is i think what one of the things that bugs me most 
about when people get convicted. And this mm-hmm. may sound like a terrible thing. I may sound like a terrible person saying this. I hate when they die in jail without being on death row. They don't mm-hmm. serve their whole sentence. They just get to die. That's <laughs> not fair. The, and it actually, I will bring it up in another episode that we do because I, one of them. So you want them to die? I mean, you want someone to kill them in prison or? I, I... Eh, no, I would rather them have to do their entire sentence or if they're on death row. I don't, I also, mm, death row is a whole nother topic. Okay. But. Well, because he started on death row, but then his sentence was commuted. Did they ever, did it ever say why? I, I did not, I didn't do enough research to find out why it was commuted. I, sorry. <laughs> it was <laughs> well, a bad Death student. row drives me nuts anyway. Right. There's, I don't, I agree with, I'm an, I'm on the fence about it. Okay. I agree with it, but I also don't agree with the fact that if you're going to put someone on death row and they're going to sit there oh. for the, for 80 years before right. they... I, that's an exaggeration no. but for a long period right. of time like that makes no sense to me that a lot of the time a death row conviction becomes a quote-unquote life in prison conviction because they sit there for so long and they just is what you're saying they just yeah. die normally and that's yeah. frustrating and and i concur i i think that that obviously there are a lot of problems with the american prison system that yeah. We might talk about in some later episodes Especially, as well. Especially, well, with that case, with it being so long ago, and he yeah. just gets to, like, live in a shack on with some chickens. <laughs> like, that's not prison. Like, he's still, get, he's still got to, like, live a life. I don't know. Have you ever I'm, hung around chickens? Chickens are terrifying creatures, mean. and they are mean. They are so. mean, yes. But still, like, he got to... It, it, That'd be like me getting a dog in prison. Like I just get to like hang out with these chickens all day. Well, I I, I, I don't, don't want to add fuel to your fire, but you know, many prisons do have programs where prisoners do live with dogs and train them as various service animals, and then they are then farmed out to other people. I think to an extent, I agree with it because we don't want to just throw these people in jail right. and let them rot and die. We do want some sort of like rehabilitation. To an extent. I think if so. If you're murdering, raping, child molesters, things like that, like, no, you get to rot. Yeah. Right. And I, I do, I very much think it depends on why you are in prison, mm-hmm. the nature of your crime, which again, I'm not sure that we do the best job of separating out our prison population based on some yes. of those things. So. I agree. I agree. Yeah. But, so. I mean, interesting. I don't know for being, I grew up here basically because I was... I moved here when I was in the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I should know a lot more about Idaho history than I do. <laughs> I, at least you weren't a history teacher. You can't get mad at me That's that. right. There you go. But yeah, I don't know enough about Idaho history. I don't really either, so. Probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't <laughs> say that while <laughs> you're the teacher here. That's right. <laughs> Thursday, we will learn about Paula Fabrush's murder yes thanks for listening <laughs>